Well, today we're continuing our series entitled Convinced, where we look at the life of Jesus through the eyes of the people who witnessed his life, death, and resurrection, and how we discover how they became convinced that not only that Jesus was more than a man, but that he truly was the Son of God and the Messiah of the world. And I want to encourage us today to lean into this message because I believe that God is going to convince some of you who have been a little skeptical about who Jesus is. And if you come in and you're a little skeptical, that's all right. But again, I invite you to have an open mind and an open heart about what God is wanting to say to you. I believe he's going to give you something that you need today that will help you become convinced. As I was preparing this message, I began to think about what does it take for us to be convinced? Often, we want a good argument, we want a good example, we want a miracle, maybe we want a sign or a wonder, maybe we want some impossibility to happen that is now possible because of what Jesus did. Well, I want to remind us that today, there are miracles in your life right now. You are a walking miracle. Do you know that? You are a walking miracle. You woke up today, God put air in your lungs, He provided a meal for you, He provided a place for you to rest last night. He has you in a family, he has you in the family of God, and you're here today, and because of that, God deserves praise. We are walking miracles, and we're here because of the grace of God. But I believe that God wants to give us something today that's going to help us be convinced that he truly is the risen Savior that we celebrate today. It was on Palm Sunday over 2,000 years ago, whereas Jesus entered into the Jerusalem, the holy city, People said, Hosanna, Hosanna to God in the highest. And I want that to be a song in your heart that you say, Hosanna. God, you're high and lifted up. You're worthy of all praise. And you deserve our honor and our respect today. So I invite you to lean in to what God wants to say to you today. But I want to talk a little bit about one of the greatest miracles that Jesus ever did. And it was his death and resurrection on the cross. The fact that he came back to life was a miracle. But because of that miracle, we have the miracle of eternal life and the ability for us to experience the forgiveness of sins. For you see, when Jesus died and rose again, he paid the price of our sin, and then he gave us the opportunity to experience him, have a relationship with him, and then to have our name written in the Lamb's book of life. What that basically means is that when our name is put in that book, we are assured that we will enter into heaven. And so I want us to live in such a way that we're convinced that Jesus truly is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's risen from the dead. And if he's alive today, he can speak life and hope and truth into your life today. So lean in to what God has to say. I want to focus in on one aspect of the character and the nature of Jesus. And it's the fact that Jesus has the ability to restore. Say restore. He has the ability to restore. In fact, I've titled today's message, When Jesus Restores. When Jesus Restores. I believe that in this service and in this moment and in the days and in weeks to come, that Jesus is going to restore some things that have been lost, some things that have been forgotten, some things that have been overlooked, some things that you felt would never get better. Jesus is going to step in and he is going to restore it because he is the one who has the ability and the authority to restore in fact, I think he wants to restore something in your heart today. Maybe it's faith. Maybe it's hope. Maybe it's the truth of who he is. Let's lean in and allow ourselves to be convinced that Jesus is the one who restores. In fact, I want to start by introducing you to a man in the Bible. His name is Peter. Now, Peter was one of the first followers of Jesus. 
And he was listed first in all of the Gospels. He was the first of all the disciples. It was always Peter, James, and John, and obviously Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him at the very end of the list. But what we notice about Peter was that he was always the bold leader. Many scholars believe that he was the oldest of the disciples, and he was the leader. He was the one to speak up first. Remember, Peter was the first one to step outside of the boat when Jesus said, hey, come walk on water. He was the first to step out and to step out front. But Peter had some cracks in his character. There were some things in his life that he had not dealt with that ended up becoming a problem in his life. He was, in short, a hothead. He was angry and frustrated, and he would snap at people at the drop of a hat. He's kind of like some of the people you know in your life. And yes, not the person to the left of you. We're not talking about them today. But he would get angry, and he would curse. For you see, he came from a rough background. He was a sailor. He grew up in an area called the Sea of Galilee. It's in the north part of the country of Israel. And he was a fisherman. And he lived a rough life, and he had rough hands, and he had a rough mouth. But even then, Jesus invited him in. For you see, Jesus can restore. Jesus can restore. He can make you new. He can make you better. He can improve your life. He wants to restore your life in a powerful way. You may feel like the habits and the patterns of your life are unredeemable, unrestorable, but in the hands of Jesus, Jesus can restore And he did this for Peter. In fact, I think all of us, we need a Jesus that can restore. I don't know about you, but I need a Jesus that can restore. That can restore the pain and the hurt of the past or the difficulties of today. We need a Jesus that can restore. If you need a Jesus that restore, can you say amen? Amen. We all need a Jesus that can restore. And we're going to look at how Jesus restores Peter. For you see Peter with those cracks in his character. When life showed up and it got very difficult... He failed. He didn't fail just a little bit. He failed spectacularly. He denied that he knew Jesus. He went back to old lifestyle and old pattern. But here's the good news. After Jesus died and rose from the dead, he went looking for Peter. And he says, I'm here to restore you, Peter. And I feel, I feel in my heart that today God is saying the same to you. It doesn't matter how far you've ran from God. He's always in pursuit of you, and he's here to say, I want a relationship with you. I want to restore you. I want to heal you. I want to give you purpose in life. It doesn't matter what the enemy has said to you or what the sin of your life has caused in your life. I'm inviting you back because he truly is the one that restores. So we're going to walk through the Gospels. Just permit me for this weekend to navigate through the Gospels as we look at the story of Peter and discover how Jesus redeemed him. I'm going to invite you to join me in Mark chapter 14, verses 27, and moving forward. Let me give you a brief context about what's happening right now. Jesus is with his disciples. He's at a meal with them. He's at the Lord's Supper. In fact, that's what we're going to share together. We're going to share together at the end of this service an opportunity for us to come to the table of Jesus. And even though I'm going to lead you in communion, I believe that Jesus is going to be the one to administer communion to you. I believe that he's going to invite us to his table. He's going to lead us in our own mind and heart to that moment when he gathered with his disciples and led them. But after they had shared a meal, there's a conversation that happens between Jesus and his disciples. And we pick up that conversation. Let's overhear the conversation that happens between Jesus, his disciples, and Peter specifically. Mark chapter 14, verses 27 and following. 
Jesus told them, all of you will desert me. Peter said, I never will. Again, he's the first one to speak up. Verse 30, Jesus replied, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times that you even know me. Peter thought he had it in hand. He was a bold guy. He had a lot of pride. He was self-assured. But in a moment of difficulty, he cracked. Sometimes in life, God allows us to crack under the pressure. But if we hold on to faith, he can redeem us and restore us and heal the cracks in our life. I know some of us, we have cracks in our life. Allow God to step in and restore those cracks so you don't have to deal with those difficulties and those struggles anymore. I believe he can do that for, the, for you today. Lean into his word. After this happens, what, what happens in the story of the Passion Week is Jesus, with 11 of his disciples, go to a garden called the Garden of Gethsemane, where he goes to pray. Because he's facing the cross. And during that moment, he says, not, mil, not my will, but yours be done. Remember that? He says, God, I know that you're sending me to the cross, but not my will, yours be done. While Jesus is praying and the disciples are there with him in the garden, Judas goes to the temple, goes to the high priest and says, I'm here to sell out Jesus. And he sells him out for 30 pieces of silver. Then Judas goes to the garden where he knew Jesus would be. He brings some of the security forces of the high priest and they go and they capture Jesus and they take Jesus to the house of the high priest where he's there to face a charge of blasphemy, which means that he was caught, that he was saying to people that he was the Messiah, that he was God in the flesh. And so he goes to the high priest's house and the disciples go along with him. We find a story where Peter is in a courtyard and he's warming himself by the fire. And then a young girl comes up to him and says the following words. I want to invite you to join me in verse 66 and following. A servant girl noticed Peter and said, You were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it. Then the servant girl began telling the others, This man is definitely one of them. But Peter denied it again. A little later, other bystanders confronted Peter. You must be one of them. Peter swore, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the, roast, the rooster crowed the second time. And suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind, and he broke down and he wept. In the most difficult moment of life, Peter broke under the pressure. In verse 29 and following, we see Peter say, I never will deny you. But then in verse 72, he denies Jesus. I believe we need a Jesus that can restore we need a Jesus that can restore. And I'm just going to say this one more time, and I want you to believe it. You can believe in a Jesus that can restore. Whatever you faced in life, you can believe in him. Peter needed someone who could restore his life, and I believe God's going to restore you today. In fact, we still have these sheets available for you. We want God to speak to you about what you can be convinced of, that he truly is the one that can restore and heal your life. We invite you to fill these out and you can put them in the area in our main lobby where we're going to be praying for you week after week that God would accomplish the prayer requests of your heart. That you would be convinced that he is the one that can restore and that he can heal. Today I want to share with you three reasons we can be convinced that Jesus is the one that can restore through the life of Peter. Here's the first reason. Jesus prays for us. Say praise. Jesus prays for us. 
In Luke chapter 22, we capture another part of the conversation that Jesus has with his disciples at the Last Supper. I want you to pay attention to what Jesus says to Simon in Luke 22, verses 31 and 32. He says this, Simon, uh, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. I want to pause here and say this. If you face difficulty after difficulty after difficulty, you know the enemy wants to sift you like wheat. He wants you to fail. He wants your faith to fail. But look at Jesus' response in verse 32 for us. He says, But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. I want to reassure you that Jesus prays for you. Whenever you face difficulty, he prays for you. Yes, we pray to him, but he prays for us. You know, the enemy is running and gunning after you. He's trying to take you out. He's wanting to discourage you. He's wanting you to believe that Jesus isn't real. Why? Because if he can distract you, he can destroy you. If he can discourage you, he can cause you to fall away. And this is what he does to Peter. The enemy was trying to sift him, but Jesus says, I prayed for you. I think this is good news. It's good news for us to know that Jesus prays for us. It's good news to know that Jesus prays for us, even in our most difficult moments. We need to ask him to pray for us. And I know some of us, we were raised in a tradition where we, we believe that we have to ask someone to pray for us or that we have to pray to someone else or pray through someone else. I want to reassure you that because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we can pray directly to him and ask him to pray for us today. He will pray for us. He will intercede for us. For the Bible tells us that he sits at the right hand of the Father and he speaks to the Father on our behalf. He says, that's my son and that's my daughter and they're struggling right now. But I'm praying that their faith won't fail, that they'll keep fighting through, that they'll still have a smidgen of faith, that they'll still hold on to me. And if they do, uh, Father, they're going to they're gonna come back. They're going to have a comeback in their life. I believe God has a comeback for you. God wants to bring you back. In this conversation, Jesus acknowledges, Peter, you're going to deny me, but I'm not going to fail you. I'm going to pray for you. Here's what I've discovered. Even when we fail, Jesus never fails us. He's always good when we're not. He's always consistent when we're not. He's always reliable even when we're not. He is good and he is faithful. He will never fail us. Let me say it again. He will never fail you. He will never fail you. He knows what you need. Sometimes in life, the setbacks we experience are because of our own choices. We make mistakes. We make a bad choice. But I want to remind us that bad choices may delay our calling, but they won't cancel it. It may delay our calling. We may be on a path where we're following Jesus and we stray away. But if we have faith in Jesus, we hold fast to him, he's going to get us back on track. And this is what he says to Peter. He says, and when you come back, strengthen your brothers. He says, I know you're going to fail me, but I'm going to pray for you. You're going to come back around, and when you do, you're going to strengthen everyone else in this group. You're going to help them move forward. And here's what I want to say to you today. Jesus is saying to you, if you stick with me, your setback is a setup for a comeback. Jesus is saying to you today, if you stick with me, your setback is a setup for a comeback. If you're willing to hold fast to Jesus, he's going to take you back and he's going to restore you. This is what he did for Peter. And if he did it for Peter, he can do it for you today. He can do it for you today.
I love what he says. He says, when, when you've turned back, I want to reassure you that Jesus has a future when for you, a future when he will heal, when he will restore, when he will redeem, when he'll bring that person who's gone away from you back to you, when he restores that relationship, when he provides you with the upgrade that you need in your life, when he provides that job you've been needing. God has a future when for you. But we must put our faith and hope in him. And I also want to remind us that he prays for us. I want to share, share with you one of the prayers that Jesus made to the Father in heaven. It's found in John 17, verse 15. He says this, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus is praying for his disciples out loud in front of them. And I've sensed at this point in the service all weekend that Jesus is praying for you right now. In fact, we're going to do something we haven't done before. We're going to just pray for just a moment. Jesus, we ask you right now that you would protect them from the evil one, that you would provide for them, that you would minister to them. Lord, for those who have a frail faith, may they come back to you. May they put their hope and trust in you. May God, you protect their mind and their heart and their life. There are those here who struggle with sleep at night, who struggle with anxiety and worry, but you are the Prince of Peace. And you say you give us a peace that surpasses all understanding and it guards our mind and our heart in Christ Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you administer protection to them as your word says. Lord, you're not going to take them out of the world, but that you're going to protect them from the evil one. And right now I sense in my heart that you are in heaven interceding for them. You're interceding on their behalf. And I pray, Lord, right now through your Holy Spirit that you would confirm this word in their heart, that you are praying for them even now, that their faith will not fail. And when they are strengthened, that they will then strengthen others, God. I pray, Lord, that this will be a place of peace for them. I pray, Lord, that they would sense your presence and that you would encourage them right now, Jesus. Holy Spirit, minister. Minister right now. Minister right now. Minister right now, Jesus. Yes, minister right now. We entrust this to you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. He prays for you. He prays for you. He's interceding for you. The second reason we can be convinced that Jesus restores is because Jesus remembers us. Jesus remembers us. He remembers us. In Mark 16, we pick up the story of the women who witnessed Jesus' death and resurrection. Remember, there were women who were there to watch him die because they cared for him. The men had gone away. They had fallen away. They had been scattered. But these women, they loved Jesus. So on the first day of the week, they go to his tomb because they wanted to anoint his body with spices and oil to honor him, to thank him for the way he loved them. And they're having this conversation. They're saying, how are we going to get into the tomb? There's a stone that's been put over the tomb. How are we going to get in there? They say, I don't know. But they keep walking. They decide to go. They said, maybe we'll figure it out when we get there. And to their surprise, when they got there, the stone had been rolled away. And this is where we pick up the story in Mark 16, verses 5 through 7. It says this, that they saw the tomb was open and when they had entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right-hand side. The women were shocked. 
But the angel said, don't be alarmed. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. I'm pausing here for just a moment to remind us that the Jesus we love and serve is risen from the dead. And I know we're going to celebrate his resurrection next week. But today we can celebrate that we serve a risen Savior. And because he is alive, he can speak life into you. He can breathe life into you. He wants to encourage you. And that's what I believe he wants to do in this moment at the end of service, when we partake of communion, that he would remind us that he is risen from the dead. And we're going to have a moment to worship him as well. So at the end of service, I invite you to linger in his presence. It may be the most important moment of this weekend and possibly for the entire year for you. I believe for some of you, this is going to be a pivot moment where you move from here to there. God's going to move you into something new. Because he remembers us. But look at what Jesus told the angel to tell the women. Verse 7. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. I love that. For you see, Peter thought that his denials had disqualified him and that his calling was canceled. But Jesus says, no, no, no. It doesn't matter if you think you're done. You're not done until I say you're done. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus is not done with you. He still wants to reach you. It doesn't matter how far gone you are. He's still inviting you. He's saying, I remember you. Even when you've forgotten me, I remember you. Jesus remembered him. I also want to pause here and say this to the women, to the wives and moms here. I want to encourage you to be like the women who went to the, went to the tomb to find Jesus. I know for many of you, you're the only person who is moving towards God. I want to encourage you, keep moving towards God. Even if you're the first mover towards Jesus, continue to do it. And when you discover that Jesus is real and that he's speaking to your heart, Jesus is saying, give a message to the people in your life and in your family that I'm going ahead of them. And I want to promise you, I want to promise you under the authority of Scripture that if you're faithful to Jesus and you love him and you, and you lift him up in your life, that there's going to be a future moment when he goes ahead of you to speak to the people in your life, to the husband in your life, to your kids and to your students. Be like these women who went to the tomb to see Jesus but found out that he was alive. And I want to encourage the ladies in the house, continue to press into Jesus because you have a valuable message to give to your family. Be willing to lean into that. But I love what Jesus does here. He says, include Peter. Sometimes we think we're excluded. I want to remind us that when sin excludes us, Jesus invites us to include us. When sin excludes us, which sin did, it excluded us from relationship with him, but through the cross, we're able to be invited to be included. Jesus is inviting us today into a relationship with him, and he's saying, would you lean into it? Would you be willing to say yes to me? Would you be willing to step in? Would you be willing to come back to me? Would you be willing to follow my path? He's inviting us to include us. He wants to include us into the family of God. He's wanting to include us into eternity with him. But we must accept the invitation. And I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a moment to say yes to Jesus. He wants to include you. But he's inviting us today to say yes to him. Here's the third reason we can be convinced that Jesus restores 
is simply this. He actually restores us. In John chapter 21, we catch a conversation of Jesus with Simon Peter. For you see, Jesus shows up at Galilee. And through a course of events, he ends up in a conversation with Peter. And look at the conversation between Jesus and Peter in John chapter 21, verses 1, 15 through 17. Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, replied Peter. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Let me pause here and say this. Whenever God uses your full name, he's trying to get your attention. It's like uh, kids uh, or even those of you who are adults, when you hear your mom, even though you're an adult and you have your own family and your mom says your full name, you're like, oh, you know, you get that moment. You feel like you're in trouble. Well, in this moment, Jesus says Simon Peter's full name. Why? Because he's wanting to say to Simon Peter, I'm talking directly to you. See, there was another disciple named Simon. And Jesus wanted Peter to know that he was speaking directly to him. And I'm here to say to you that Jesus is speaking directly to you. Not the person to the left or to the right of you or in front of you or behind you. He's speaking directly to you. He's saying, I'm here for you. I love you. But Jesus doesn't have this conversation once. He has it another two times. Look what it says in verse 16. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Look at what Jesus does. Peter denies Jesus three times, and Jesus restores him three times. What's profoundly impactful about this is that the first time Jesus asks him, the first two times that Jesus asks him, do you love me? He uses the word agape, which is a universal general love. But the third time he says, do you phileo me? Do you love me as a friend? Peter was broken by that in the very best of ways. And here's the message of this. Jesus loves you, but he wants you to love him not only as master and as a good teacher, but as savior and Lord and he wants to be your friend. He wants to be your friend. And he's inviting us to come close. Someone once said, Satan knows your name but calls you by your sin. But Jesus knows your sin. But he calls you by your name. He's calling to you. Jorge, Tom, Jose, Maria, Joe. He's calling to you. He's speaking your name right now. If you're willing to answer you'll discover that Jesus can restore every life and redeem every mistake. He can do it for you. He did it for Peter, and he can do it for you. I want us to lean into this moment. He's talking to you. He's speaking to all of us. And he's saying, are you willing to let me restore you? Are you willing to let me redeem you? Are you willing to let me forgive your sin and give you new life? He's saying that to all of us. And so in this moment, as we step into the sacred moment with Jesus, I want us to all stand front to back, side to side, lay everything aside, lean into this moment with Jesus. He's inviting us. He's calling us. Don't hang up on him like he's a spam call. Answer the call. Say yes to him.
Unfortunately, we believe saying yes to Jesus and answering the call is, is as clear as ABC. It's A, admitting that we're all sinners, because guess what? We're all sinners. B, believing that Jesus is our Savior and our Lord, and C, confessing from our heart with our mouth out loud that we need him in our life. And I want this moment to pass without giving you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. So I'm gonna invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here and you need to say yes to Jesus on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. If you're not joining this church, you're engaging in a new relationship with Jesus. He's calling out to you. One, two, three. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yes, up in the balcony, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes. For those of you who raised your hand, you can pray this prayer with me. In fact, I'm gonna invite all of us to say this prayer because Jesus is here ministering to us. We're gonna pray to him and he's gonna pray for us. Let's pray together. Say, Jesus, I need you today. I believe in you. And I say yes to you. I believe that you can forgive me of all of my sin. And I believe you can restore. I also believe that you pray for me. And right now, I ask you to protect my mind and heart and my family and my relationships. I give you my life for all of my life, in Jesus' name, amen. If you just said that prayer, welcome to the family of God. We invite you to text New Life to the number on the screen. I'd also invite you, in, in just another weekend, we're gonna start, after Easter, we're gonna start a new class called Starting Point. It's an opportunity for you to meet Jesus, learn how to follow him. We invite you to be part of this class and learn how to step in. And if you need someone to pray with you at the end of service, our prayer team will be here. But now we're going to administer the communion. Jesus is inviting us up to his table. Just imagine for a moment what the scene was like. Jesus at the head of the table administering a meal to his friends. And the first thing he does is he blesses the elements. And so let's pray together and ask Jesus, the one who is here, to bless the elements. Jesus, we come to you right now. We ask that you would bless these elements like you did long ago. That you would be invited into this place and into our hearts. You're the master of ceremony here. Bless these elements as we remember the extravagant expression of love that you gave us on the cross. May it not be lost upon us the fact that you've redeemed us, that you have the power to restore us. Pray, Lord, you bless these elements in Jesus' name, amen invite you to retrieve the bread. Remind us that on that night when he was betrayed, he took the bread. He said, this bread represents my body, which will be broken for you. He says, break and take this in remembrance of me. I invite you to break and let's take together. Oh, Jesus, thank you for your broken body. Thank you for the way you restore our hearts. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you for willingly going for us in our place. We didn't deserve it, Jesus, but you did it for us. You were willing to go to the cross for us because you knew that we couldn't redeem our own sin. Thank you, Jesus.
then he took the cup. He said, this cup represents my blood, which will be shed for you. He says, I'm going to pour out all the blood in my body to give you life. He emptied himself of life to give you and I life. But there's also the power of healing in the blood of Jesus. And so if you need restoration in some area of your life, as we pray, as we take and then pray, we're going to ask him to bring healing to you. He took the cup. He said, take this cup that represents my blood in remembrance of me. Let's take together. Jesus, right now I pray that you would pray for your people, that you would intercede for them, that you would minister healing to them, that you'd minister restoration to them, that you'd help them be convinced that you are the one that they need. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just minister right now. You're welcome in this place, Jesus. You're welcome in our hearts. You're welcome in this house. We worship you. We say thank you, Jesus. Just take a moment and say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We don't deserve your sacrifice, but we say thank you. And now, now, Lord, we're going to worship you. Lord, we're going to look beyond our struggles and our difficulties, and we're going to lift you up. We're going to fix our eyes on you. Lord, we're going to worship you right now. You deserve our praise. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. I want to invite you. If you've never stepped up to the altar or it's been a while, I want you to come because Jesus wants to meet with you. And the thing about stepping into an altar moment is simply this, is you're saying, Jesus, I'm willing to put feet to my faith and I want you to step into my life. If you need Jesus to restore some area of your life, just come up and worship at the front and just let him restore you. Let's worship together.